0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. I want to share a little bit more info about the current series that we're in and some background about Zachariah because we're walking through the book of Zechariah and we're about halfway done but the theme and the message that Zechariah is communicating to the people of Israel kind of changes uh, midway through his, his book. Um, so we had started by saying that the theme, uh, or one of the themes of Zechariah, was a call to the people of God to return to God. Like he's telling them, hey, you guys need to get back to making God your priority, focusing on God, and specifically to them, get back to the thing that God had called them to do, which was to rebuild the temple in that day. That was one of the primary messages that he was communicating to them. For us today, not necessarily to rebuild the temple, but for us to get back to the thing that God has called us, the people of God, to do, which is to share the gospel and to build God's kingdom. But now we're going to see a shift because the next couple of chapters focus on the secondary theme that he had, which is for the people in that day to look to the coming of the Messiah the anointed one, which was crucial to the people of Israel. Now, for us today, we're on this side of history. We know he's already come, but the message that we are getting out of it is, hey, to look to the return of the Messiah. And this is one of the reasons why when we started, uh, we started, we called this a call for spiritual renewal because the next couple of chapters are going to be very spiritual. They focus on a lot of spiritual things. They focus on a lot of end time things. Uh, They focus on a lot of things that may not seem normal uh, to anyone who doesn't have the spirit of God and is like, I don't understand where God is trying to take this, right? So over the next couple of chapters, here's what we're going to see. Zechariah is going to focus on number one, God's love for Jerusalem. He's going to, and we're going to see that in a minute. He's going to hammer that right in, his amazing love for Jerusalem which may be a little bit difficult for some people to see, right? Because we get uh, the question today, people ask, how can God say he loves people when we look at and he allows all of the harsh things that are going on to go on? And back then, people could say, how can God say he loves Jerusalem? Because he's the one who allowed us to be taken into captivity and we're laboring and doing all this stuff. But he's going to focus on uh, his love for Jerusalem and he's also going to focus on the Messiah, right? The anointed one. But then he's really going to nail in and focus on a lot of end times talk and millennium talk, right? The millennial kingdom, uh, this age where uh, there's going to be a thousand years on earth where people are living together in harmony. And, and he's going to focus a lot on that, which a lot of pastors don't teach a lot about that. So it might seem weird to some people, um, to talk about it, but it's one of the things he focuses on. Now, a little bit of background about Zechariah, which is going to show you why he focuses on it. Zechariah, again, one of the 12 minor prophets, right? Uh, There's a lot of prophets mentioned in the Bible who don't even get a book in the Bible. There are a lot of prophets in the Bible who have what they're called major books. And it's not that their message is any less important, but it's that their messages are shorter. So all of these 12 prophets, uh, their messages are either single-digit chapters, except for, I think, Hosea and Zechariah, whose chapters are 14 chapters long, but even those chapters are short. By comparison, the book of Daniel, only 12 chapters long, but those chapters are really long, right? So uh, these are called the minor prophets, and uh, Zechariah begins to focus on a lot of stuff in the next half of his books. Now, in his 14 chapters, Uh, right? He focuses on, like we said, one, returning to God, but then he focuses on the last seven chapters, a lot of end times talk, a lot of spiritual things, a lot of things that for the average person might not make sense, but he focuses on it so much that uh, when you look throughout the Bible, right, his book has more end times content than any of the other minor prophets, Uh, between the, he focuses on the coming of the Messiah, then he focuses on the return of the Messiah, he focuses on end time events, focuses on a lot of stuff which we'll cover over the next couple of weeks, and he is the most quoted minor prophet in the New Testament. One of the reasons is because in the New Testament, they talk about, especially Paul and even Jesus talks about, they talk about the coming of the Messiah and the return of the Messiah. So a lot of them quote him uh, in their books. Now, he starts, like we said, by talking about his God's love for Jerusalem. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Zechariah chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have someone bring one to you. Uh, and in Zechariah chapter 8, right? And again, it's 14 chapters, so almost halfway through. Granted, we haven't met for a couple of weeks, but almost halfway through, and a lot of his chapters are short. And over the next couple of weeks, we're not even going to go through word for word every chapter, but kind of try to focus on the major themes that he talks about. And a lot of it, again, very spiritual, very end times of end. And that's why we kind of started this year with that 21-day devotional to get our minds on the aspect of looking at things from God's perspective, acknowledging that we're spiritual beings. We we serve a God who is spirit, and that he put his spirit in us. Okay. So at Acts, not Acts, Zechariah chapter eight, verse one, he starts like this. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Now really quickly, Zion, not a common name. Uh, It grew to be the name for Jerusalem. Initially, it was the name of the fortress that, was, that David overtook. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. Then, instead of just the fortress, it became the whole mountain, right? In Psalms chapter 2, it says this The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And then over time, as you see in Zechariah and other places, it was just Zion became synonymous with Jerusalem. Just that's what they called it. And it became a name they used in a lot of movies for holy cities that weren't Jerusalem. Okay, but here's the other thing. He says this, and this is this is a crucial, we we, we have to understand this to get where God is trying to take us. He says, I am very zealous or jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. And that word jealous. Isn't the word used the way we think of it? Like I might think, oh, I'm jealous of Andrew because Andrew can play the bass and I can't. So he's got a skill that I want. That's what we think of when we think of jealousy. This person has something that I don't have, so we're angry at them or we're upset with them. That's the normal use of the word jealousy today. But back then, it didn't just mean jealous. It also meant zealous, starting with a Z. And how many people remember the song? I wrote the words out because I know we haven't sung it in forever. How many people remember the song? Uh, It goes like this. It goes, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Anyone remember this? Not ringing a bell? Yeah. And then it goes, when all of a sudden I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me, and then it, it brings it home, telling you why he's jealous for you. It says, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. In my head, I can hear, like, people sang that song everywhere. It was so popular. And it started with, he is jealous for me. That's the type of jealousy that he's talking about. Not angry because we have something that God doesn't, or Jerusalem had something that God doesn't. He was, it was out of his jealous love for them that he writes everything else that we're about to read. So uh, drop down to the next verse, verse 3, says this, out of his jealous love for them, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a cane in his hand because of his age. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. So he says in the end time, he's not describing a time that has occurred yet. He's not describing a time that has occurred since he wrote this until now. It didn't occur uh, before when they finally were able to rebuild Jerusalem. It didn't occur after when the Romans came in and took it over. didn't occur after when the Romans destroyed it. It hasn't occurred yet when Jerusalem and, and, and Israel was declared a nation again. This still hasn't occurred where he has returned and taken up residence in Jerusalem. And what he's describing is what is going to happen in the millennial reign. He says during this millennial reign, and I know he doesn't use the word millennium, but we're going to dig into this over the next couple of weeks. He says there's going to be a time where he just dwells with the people in Jerusalem. There's going to be joy. There's going to be truth. There's going to be happiness. There's going to be holiness. There's going to be the spirit of community. Now jump over to verse 14. And he says, this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again in Jerusalem and Judah. So he says, hey, just like the reason you guys are in this, and we talked about this weeks ago, the reason that they were taken into captivity is because they refused to obey God. And God said, okay, that's what you want. I'm going to step back and I'm going to let the Babylonians come in and they're going to crush you. And they did. And they took them into captivity. And God says, just like I allowed that to happen because you angered me, because you disobeyed me, now I'm gonna show good to you and I'm gonna dwell with you again and I'm gonna be with you. And then he says this in verse 16, these are the things you are to do now. Now, here's here's what we have to understand. He says, those things are coming. There's coming a day when God is gonna dwell physically in the city of Jerusalem with his people again. That's coming soon. But what he points out right now is These are the things you are to do, and these are the things that are meant to be doing now. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plight evil against your neighbor, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all of this, declares the Lord. And we talked about this uh, whenever the last time we met is, a couple of weeks ago, where he was saying that it's more important, the way that you treat other people, right? The way that you act now, that is extremely important because that's the only picture that people are going to get of what life is going to be like living in proximity with god the only way they're going to see that is by looking at us when they look at us he says what they need to see is the way that we treat one another in truth and integrity and loving one another and he says this is what they are supposed to do now now that's kind of them right and people say well where does that where does god tell us what we're supposed to do now while we wait and i'm glad you asked because in the book of first peter peter kind of lays this out what we as the church today what we're supposed to be doing now how we're supposed to be living now while we wait for the return of christ right because we, we, we should be telling people, yeah, you know, the reason why I'm a Christ follower is because Jesus died. He paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. But also a part of that should be, and he's coming back. And when we tell people that he's coming back, it should be reflected in how we live our lives. Because this is what Peter says, right? Second Peter, he says this. Chapter three, verse one, he says, "'Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. "'I've written both of them as reminders "'to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. "'I want you to recall the words spoken in the past "'by the holy prophets and the command given "'by our Lord and Savior through your apostles.'" He says, what I'm about to tell you, I, I want you to remember this. I want to stimulate your thinking. I want you to keep this at the forefront of your mind. And this isn't just something that I'm making up. This is something that was taught by the prophets, This is something that we, the apostles, shared with you. It's a command from God. And here's what it is. He says this, above all, understand that in the last days, which we have been in since Acts chapter 2, right? So in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is this coming, he promised, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it is, as it has since the beginning. So he says, in the last days, there are going to be these people who come and say, You guys, all I hear from you Christians is Jesus is coming back. Christ is coming back. It's been thousands of years. When is he coming back? Here's what he says, though, and this is important. He tells us why these scoffers come. He says, because they're following their own evil desires. And in Peter's day, there was a whole sect of people that called themselves Christians, but said, we don't need to live for Christ because we don't know when he's coming back. We don't have to worry about holy living. We just have to live for what our bodies crave now, pleasures of the flesh, doing whatever we want. As long as we don't hurt other people, it's all good. We don't need to live like, oh, this righteous way for for God, because we have no idea when he's coming back. And the same is true today. I mean, does this sound familiar to anyone today? People telling us that, hey, live however you want, do whatever you want, get whatever pleasures you can get, get as much money as you can get, because that's what's important now. And so Peter was addressing this to them, and he said, these are the scoffers that come and complaining about uh, living for Christ. But then he says this in verse eight, he says, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter gives an answer to all the scoffers that say, well, why hasn't Christ come back yet? And he says, first of all, understand that our time frame of thinking and God's are different, right? And a lot of people look at this and say, oh, for every day that passes for us, a thousand years passes for God. That's not the case. What it says is whether one day passes for us or a thousand years pass for us, it's all the same to God because he's not bound by time. So if, for example, I don't know how many of you guys can see this, if this pen represents all of time, I know it's short, but if this is the beginning of time and this is the end of time, God sees it all. He sees the one day just like he sees a thousand years. He sees them all at the same time because he's not bound by time and then he tells us the reason why God is patient, why he hasn't returned. He's waiting on us to do our job and share the gospel with the people in our circles of influence because he doesn't want any of them to perish, but he wants as many as possible to come to repentance. So God could have come down at any time and said, okay, judgment day, we're done, but he's waiting on us to do what God has called us to do. The one job he gave the church to do, to go out and share the good news, the gospel, with people within our circles of influence. That doesn't mean we go out and beat them over the head, but as we get to know people, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the dry cleaner, are there any dry cleaners left? Is that still a thing? I don't know. The dry cleaner, uh, uh, the waitress, the waiter, the cashier, whoever it is, as we get to know them and we share, hey, here's who I am. Part of here's who I am is here's what God has done in my life. And as we do that, and as they commit their lives to Christ, then we're fulfilling the one reason we're still here, to build God's kingdom, right? So he says that, and then uh, this is what he says. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So since we know, and when he says destroyed in this way, there's verses where he says that the earth, after that millennial reign of Christ, after that thousand years, the earth is going to go up in flames. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where we will spend eternity with him. And what Peter says is, since everything is going to be destroyed in that way, what kind of people ought we to be now? Same thing Zachariah said to, to, to the people in his day. Here's what you ought to be doing now. And he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And what does holy and godly lives look like? It looks like the same thing that Zechariah was telling them. It looks like lives that are marked by truth. Not manipulation, not lies, not, not cultural whatever, just living out God's truth in our life. But it also means that we're to be people of holiness. We're to be different than the world. We're not to, and again, it's not to say we're better than, but we definitely should be different than. When someone looks at the way we live as Christ followers, our lives, and they look at the way the world lives their lives, there should be a difference. And again, this is why when we started this series at the beginning of the year, we started walking through that 21 days of spiritual renewal, that devotional, and one of the focuses was on the book of Galatians, living life by the Spirit. Because here's what Paul says, a little detour back to Galatians. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, the acts of the flesh... Right, those are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. That word witchcraft is the Greek word pharmacia, where we get the word pharmacy, because that was how they practiced witchcraft, by smoking and inhaling all kinds of drugs in order to get to this higher plane uh, of rationality. Hatred, discord, jealousy, not, not the jealous love of God that we were talking about, but where we look at people and we're angry at them and we hate them because they have things that we don't. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, which is literally division, which is marking uh, like churches all over the world right now divided over things that we shouldn't be divided over. Factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And Paul, Peter is writing this to the church, to Christ followers, and he tells them, I warn you as I did before. Is not my first time telling you this? I'm warning you as I did before. Those who live like this, Christians who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, I'm not trying to have a once saved, always saved discussion. I'm just sharing what the Bible says, that if you're a Christ follower, and you're living like this, one, you're not living by the spirit, Two, Peter makes it clear, you're not going to be a part of God's eternal kingdom because that's not what God wants in his kingdom. And he contrasts that, but the fruit of the spirit, the characteristic, and it's one, that fruit is singular, one fruit of the spirit, but that comes out in nine different characteristics is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against these things, against living this kind of way, there's no law. What he means by that is the law is what convicts people. Because at the end of the day, when we're all judged, he's going to hold up the law. And how did you measure up to it? Does that mean we have to keep the whole 613 law? No, but if we're living by the spirit, then the law can't judge us or condemn us because we're living by God's spirit. And so these are the things that he says that we should be doing now to be the church. We should be people of truth. We should be people of holiness. And most importantly, let me share this as the band comes up. We should be a people who are in community with one another. I talk to so many people who are like, yeah, I love God, but I don't need the church. I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need to attend a Sunday celebration. And when I ask them why, They're like, because those people are hateful and they're angry and they're divisive and they're mean-spirited and they're whatever. And I'm like, yeah, those are also the people that God died for. Those are also the people that he filled with his Holy Spirit and the people that he tells us to go out and to love the same way that he did. He doesn't tell us to separate from those people. He tells us to go out and share the gospel with those people, to love those people, to be in community with those people so that they can experience the same joy and the love of Christ that we experienced. And one day, God won't need us to go out and to tell people about him and to to show people the love of Christ. One day, he'll just be living with all of us. and We'll be experiencing it on a daily basis. But until then, He asks you and me to do this one thing, to go out and tell others about his love, to be people of truth and of holiness who are willing to invite others into this spirit of community. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand as I pray before we lift God up in song. God, we're so grateful that when you looked at us, even though we were sinful, angry, uh, separated from you by all of those things that we talked about, Even though when you looked at us and we were enemies of you, your word says that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us and to shed his blood for us and to offer forgiveness to us. And the only thing that you ask of us in return is that we love others that same way. God, we know that we live in a world that desperately needs your love, your goodness, grace, and mercy. And we pray that, we pray that you impress it upon our hearts to be the church, to be people of truth and holiness, and to invite others into this community that you have created. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.